0: The British TV podcast with Chrissy and Ryan: news, reviews, what's on TV this week, DVD releases, and special features—all about British TV.
1: Hello, and welcome to show number seven of the British TV podcast. i
0: we are going i was just gonna say—we're gonna be in double digits pretty soon. This is exciting. Very
1: exciting. All right. Uh, I'm Ryan in Seattle.
0: I'm Chrissy in Seattle.
1: Oh, this week we have news. What's on British TV this week? What's running in the United States? DVD releases. Reviews of the new Doctor Who special, The Prisoner, and Collision, and a feature on the career of writer Russell T. Davies.
0: Good old RTD. All right.
1: As he is known by Doctor Who fans. Yeah. But we're not going to talk about his Doctor Who career. We're talking about what he's done before that, and is very extensive and very interesting if you're not aware of it. So, uh, news. The Grace Brothers reopens. Are you being served store... Grace Brothers is to be recreated in tribute to the sitcom stars Wendy Richard. Part of the London department store Selfridges is to be converted into a comedy set for the charity sale of designer items from the late actress's wardrobe next month. Actors Trevor Bannister and Frank Thornton will reprise their roles as Mr. Lucas and Captain Peacock for the event on December 8th. Richard's role of Miss Bram's will be taken by fellow EastEnders actress Natalie Cassidy, while Layla Morse, a.k.a. Albert Square's Mo Harris, will recreate Molly Sugden's character of Mrs. Slocum. Richard's widow, John Burns, organized the sale of more than a thousand items, including Chanel suits, Prada handbags, and Gucci sunglasses, in a bid to raise more than £50,000 for her favorite charity, the Lady Taverners. Miss Richard, who played Miss Brahms from 1972 to 1985, died of cancer in February at the age of 65.
0: So I'm guessing Season 2 of Benadorm might have been her last role. Have, have you watched that yet? I've
1: seen her obituary that ran the night that she died, right. and it did mention that in her. I think that was her last one because she was fighting cancer, and she was off EastEnders right. by then.
0: Well, one of the main characters of Benadorm. Drives a scooter when she's on vacation simply because she wants to, not because she needs to. And Wendy Richard played someone very much like her. And they sort of an Old West showdown by the pool on their scooters.
1: I remember that. The real Belle du Jour is revealed. Her name is Dr. Brooke Magnatti, and her specialist areas are developmental neurotoxology and cancer epidemiology. She has a PhD in informatics, epidemiology, and forensic science, and is now working at the Bristol Initiative for Research of Child Health. From 2003 to late 2004, Brooke worked as a prostitute via a London escort agency. She started blogging as Belle Dujour shortly into her career as a call girl after an incident she thought was funny enough to write down. And of course, that became a book. Called the Secret Diary of a Call Girl and a series starring Billy Piper that has been shown on ITV and Showtime.
0: Right now, have you ever read the blog or the book? No, I haven't. I've read both. So um, tell me. Yeah, I've got. I read the first two books, and then since then, she's written some novels that, versus just compiling her blog, and very very little of the television show had anything to do with the blog, other than the central focus that a strong, empowered woman becomes a call girl because it, she considers her options and that's sort of viable to her. It now,
1: kind of just a vehicle for Billy Piper, right? Right.
0: Well, B- Billy's character was kind of looking at as as a career, whereas um, Dr. Brooke always intended it as a stopgap because she was finishing her PhD. And she also disguised what she did enough in her blog that I was very surprised she was a scientist. I had thought she did more of um working in an office surrounding or management or computers.
1: I know there was a lot of speculation in England of who she was, and then she was about to be outed by the Daily Mail, and so she took her story to the Times of London and uh, confessed all, and obviously she's not ashamed of it, and there was a link on our website to the article of the Times if you wish to look at it.
0: She's going to continue the blog a while longer, she says. She wants her bell to have a happy ending, and she's in love with... The love of her life, she thinks now, no. because in the books one and two, she had a very bad boyfriend who she called the boy. And you wanted to reach through the pages and just throttle this lady for not having the courage to dump him because she knew she should and she was just couldn't do it. And that part of it, that's what made me really angry sometimes with her choices, never the prostitution, just no. this, this horrible user of a fella she had there but um Mm. she's a real sparkling interesting writer but again i think maybe two sentences of the blog ended up in the series it's Mm. all if you like the series you should
1: check out the book maybe yeah
0: they're really there she's a good writer you won't be reading any of the stories from the series those are completely 100 percent fiction except the part for her becoming a a prostitute by accident Mm. having what she thinks is a one-night stand and then being handed what she thinks is taxi fare home the next day and then counting it, and it's something like 300 pounds. So, And she suddenly realizes, oh, all right, something clicks there. That is in the series as well as the book, but everything else is completely different.
1: Hmm. Edward Woodward, the versatile actor who starred in The Wicker Man and best known in this country for The Equalizer, but in Britain he was in the spy drama Callan. He died Monday at the age oh, of 79.
0: Poor old iwa huh? That's his name with no consonants.
1: (laughs) Okay. (laughs) I didn't
0: make that up. It was on QI once. (laughs)
1: Oh, right. What's on TV this week? Uh, Tuesday's James May's Toy Stories continues on BBC Two. And also on Tuesday night on ITV continues the three-part documentary series, John Sargent on the Tourist Trail.
0: I'm... Preparing to start watching that once once all three have aired. I'm really looking forward to it. I, I love British travel documentaries. doesn't matter where they go. I, I was enchanted by Stephen Fry in the U.S., which is, I believe, going to be shown on PBS. Now I'm pretty sure of it. You have
1: more connection to PBS than I have. Yeah, it's going to be a, ask a PBS. Ask your spies.
0: Um, it is, because he Stephen Fry was on Craig Ferguson a few weeks ago, and he did talk about it and say it was going to be a PBS show. It's already aired in the UK, and Paul Merton going off to India and China was great. I hope they send him off somewhere else to do some more series. So
1: And then bring him back.
0: Yep. Well, I, <laughs> I do really adore John Sargent, and looking forward to seeing it. I'll let you know later how much I like it.
1: Uh, Wednesday, the school drama Waterloo Road continues on BBC One. On BBC Two, Wednesday night, Andrew Mars, The Making of Modern Britain continues. And also Wednesday night, Spooks, or Sprooks as we were going to call it a few weeks ago, uh, which is better known as MI5 in this country, Wednesday nights on BBC One.
0: Thursday afternoon at 4.35 on BBC One is The Sarah Jane Adventures, with the last of a two-part adventures, The Gift, part two on Friday at the same time.
1: So I'll be wrapping up the third season of The Sarah Jane Adventures. Starting Thursday night on Channel 4 at 10pm is Alan Carr, Chatty Man. A new chat comedy sketch show. And his first guests are Noel Fielding and Mariah Carey.
0: Wonder what Mariah Carey will make of Noel. Perhaps they'll become great friends and share clothing like he's rumored to do with Courtney Love.
1: Yes. Friday, BBC One preempts its usual lineup for the annual charity fun drive, Children Indeed. This will feature uh, the one show team are recreating fame, the cast of The Bill perform a Rat Pack classic. The cast of EastEnders celebrates 50 years of Motown. There are also contributions from the cast of Merlin, Casualty, and the BBC newsreaders perform a tribute to singer Beyonce. Plus, there's an exclusive preview of the Doctor Who Christmas special, and host Terry Wogan, who's long been a fan of Lark Rise to Candleford, tonight fulfills a cherished dream when he dons the breeches and cravat to drop in at the post office. So, children in need, it's a telethon, so be prepared for lots of phone numbers and appeals to call in. But they do give you some entertainment there as well. What they're, what I've heard, what they're going to do for the Doctor Who Christmas special is, unlike last year, where they basically showed the pre-credit sequence, they are going to be showing the compilation of scenes throughout that stand on their own, oh. kind of what people's appetite.
0: As if it's not wetted enough, my goodness.
1: That's true. But they've always tried to do something special for children in need. They true. actually did used to make their own specials. Unique ones, but they didn't have time this year to do it, so they, they were having to...
0: Right, the little bit of continuity between the Eccleston and the Tennant doctors. I remember that. You were so excited about that when you discovered it. To me,
1: that is continuity. When but I watched those, I put that was. in there.
0: I did too, but I was, I was completely new to Doctor Who at the time. Ah, but...
1: and then Time Crash, where they did the next year, was mm-hmm. where Peter Davison meets David Tennant. So nothing new, new, well, it's new to us, but it's not something that will be exclusive to Children in Need. But Children in Need, it's a worthwhile charity. Its logo is a, a teddy bear with an eye patch. Uh, Saturdays, Merlin continues on BBC One at 6.05, and Harry Hill's TV Burp on ITV One. And over on BBC Two, it continues a three-part documentary series, Berlin, about the history of the German capital.
0: Oh my, I've got a friend moving to Berlin next
1: month. Really? Yes. Wow.
0: I'll have to alert her to this documentary.
1: Dreamland begins on the BBC's Red Button On Demand service on Saturday. And it's a multi-part animated Doctor Who adventure featuring the voices of David Tennant and Georgina Moffat. It'll also be available on the BBC's Doctor Who website, but only if you're in the UK. And it will be shown in December on BBC Two unlike a Sunday morning.
0: Is she playing the doctor's daughter? No, she's playing
1: an American character. And it's done with CGI animation. You might remember a couple years ago they did uh, The Infinite Quest. Mm -hmm. And this is, I've not seen stuff from it. People say the animation's a little less refined in this. But if the story's great, who cares, right?
0: It's all about the story, that's
1: sure. So that becomes available starting on Saturday. Thick of it on BBC2 at 10.20 with Peter Capaldi.
0: Sunday, BBC Two continues the new season of Top Gear. Michael Sheen, love him, from The Queen, and Frost Nixon is the star in a reasonably priced car. Michael will also be on Graham Norton next Monday.
1: He must have something to promote. I think he's in a soccer movie.
0: Yeah, he's in a few movies. He's...
1: Well, I mean, something new to promote. (laughs) Uh, The new BBC One drama, Garrow's Law, Tales from the Old Bailey, continues on Sunday night. Uh, Monday, the 23rd, David Attenborough's documentary Life continues on BBC One.
0: The Graham Norton Show is on Monday nights, BBC One. Guests include Dame Shirley Bassey, Welsh comedian Rod Gilbert, and, like we said, Michael Sheen.
1: And Do you know what connects all three of those? Welsh? Yes, exactly. (laughs) Very good.
0: Michael Sheen was born in the same small town as Lawrence Olivier and Anthony Hopkins.
1: I knew that Hopkins went to the same schools yeah. ca- as Catherine Zeta-Jones. Isn't that right? or they were in the same town.
0: Well, it was funny because usually in a, in a small Welsh village, if you announce you're going to be an actor, you'd be somewhat ridiculed. But they had such, such successful examples of young men who'd gone off and become famous that when Michael Sheen was saying he was going to be an actor, they were all, oh, all right, that's good.
1: As long as he wasn't the only gay in the village. <laughs> little, uh little Britain joke there. And on Monday, Miranda Hart's new comedy, Miranda, continues on BBC Two. On BBC America this week, more of the same pretty much. Top Gear and Friday Night with Jonathan Ross fill out Friday nights. There's more Top Gear on Mondays. Saturday continues the third season of Robin Hood and the Graham Norton Show. Adult Swim at 1 a.m. Sunday night, Monday morning, The Mighty Boosh. And on PBS's Masterpiece Contemporary, the Douglas Henshaw Police Drama Collision concludes this Sunday the 22nd in most areas, and we'll have a review of that in just a few minutes. DVD releases in the U.S. Rome, the complete series, available in regular DVD and a Blu-ray box set, with all 22 episodes. This HBO-BBC co-production includes tons of extras, including Friends, Romans, Countrymen... The Rise of Rome, How the Sets Were Built in Italy, Shot by Shot, Caesar's Triumph, One in Rome, The Rise of Octavian, and many, many others. If you like that series, check out the DVDs. And the Steve Coogan Collection is out on DVD. It features the complete Knowing Me, Knowing You, I'm Alan Partridge, Saxon Dale, Dr. Terrible's House of Horrible, Coogan's Run. Paul and Pauline Caff's Video Diaries, and the Tony Farino phenomenon in a 14-disc box set.
0: Wow. Does he have fans that'll shell out for a 14-disc box set? Are
1: you saying Steve Coogan's fans are cheap?
0: No, in the United States. I just didn't know oh. that there's that rabbit of following that they would buy something like that rather than testing it out with I'm Alan Partridge and going from there.
1: Um, Skirco Video no doubt will buy it here in Seattle. They buy everything.
0: I've, I've seen all of these and I can recommend them all, but I'm just surprised that it's coming out in the United States and a bit impressed, so go Steve.
1: Yes. So, reviews this week. Let's start with the Waters of Mars. I read all that stuff about you, Captain Adelaide. One thing they never said, was it worth it? The mission?
0: We've got excellent results from the soil analysis.
2: Oh, but all of it.
3: Because they say you sacrificed everything. Devoted your whole life
2: to get here. It's been chaos back home. Forty long years. The climate, the ozone, the oil apocalypse. We almost reached extinction. And to fly above that, to stand on a world with no smoke, where the only straight line is the sunlight, Yes, it's worth it.
1: Ah. That's the Adelaide Brooke Iles wanted to meet. A woman with starlight in her soul. Should we, should we do spoilers?
0: Um, yeah. Okay, just... so
1: there are going to be spoilers. So if you don't want spoilers, The Waters of Mars will be on December 19th on BBC America. If you're going to wait till then, just skip ahead five minutes in the podcast. You won't miss anything too exciting. If you have seen it, we're going to talk about it. So, what did you think?
0: Oh, I liked it. I must admit, I watched it on my computer with its dying monitor, so I have to watch it again on a proper television. I just had to watch it right away the second I was able to, rather than burn it to a disc and take it to the other room, because that takes about an hour.
1: I actually waited till Sunday morning, because I wanted to watch it with my wife. Aww. The Doctor lands on Mars exactly 50 years in the future, and the first Martian colony is there. And he walks in, and quickly realizes that an important event is about to occur, one of which that he cannot interfere with. And so he tries to bid a hasty adieu and just go back to the TARDIS and leave, but of course he doesn't. And the water seems to be infecting people and turning them into kind of zombies that just ooze water out of every orifice. Right.
0: chapped lip to zombies.
1: Yes, you wouldn't know this, but they lips, the mouth's somewhat looked like the Ice Warriors, which were an old 60s Doctor Who villain and who were originally from Mars. And so a lot of people thought, oh, we're going to see Ice Warriors. You heard them mentioned, but they didn't show them because they're, they haven't come back yet in the new series. But there was a little connection there. The, this whole, we're trapped in an isolated base has been done several times in the new series. 42, the Satan Pit, So there wasn't a lot of new territory there. But things got really interesting in the last 15 minutes, I thought. And this is where this is really spoilery, so if you don't want to know, please skip past this part. Where, as I say, the Doctor realizes the events must unfold for history and time to be correct. And he's going to do the good Time Lord thing and he just walks away as everyone is dying and things are going to hell in the base. And he's already told them all, you're all going to die. This is what happens in history. And then he has a change of heart. He realizes he is the last Time Lord. And since the Time Lord's made the rules and he's the last one, he can change the rules. And today he's decided he's going to save them. And he rushes back in to save the day.
0: For some of them.
1: Yes. He somewhat did this in the fires of Pompeii, you might recall. He knew that Pompeii had to happen. And of course, ironically, he ended up causing the volcanic blast, but he and Donna were basically going to foot it, ha ha, out of there, and Donna said, you've got to save them, and he goes, I can't, he, he says, you've got to save somebody, and they come back to Peter Capaldi's Pompeii family, and he does rescue their family, you know, fearing it's four people, and they resettle in right. Rome.
0: And if you watched in the UK, uh, Donna and the doctor were then immortalized as household gods, which was completely cut from the... Sci fi channel. Era, right, the the sci
1: fi but... channel gets cut the last scene out. <laughs> but you've probably seen it on DVD anyway. So the doctor starts breaking rules that he's not supposed to break, but he figures, well, you know, I can do this. And he rescues three the three last survivors and takes them back to Earth on the same day. And presumably they're gonna have some splinting to do since they have suddenly traveled what, thirty million miles.
0: Right, which they said would take nine months.
1: Right. And the woman, uh, Dr. Brooke, or Captain Brooke, played by Lindsay Duncan, Mm -hmm. is shocked by this because he had already made it very clear that her death resulted in spurring off the human race, in particular her granddaughter, to go out to the stars. And it needs to happen. He says, well, you know, who says so? I, I, I made this change. And she does something very shocking afterwards, which for a children's program is uh, pretty heavy. And then the doctor realizes that maybe he's gone a little too far. And he starts getting a few intimations of mortality. And this is presumably going to lead right into the next story. He goes back in the TARDIS. The cloister bells are ringing. And this leads to the end of time two-part finale, which will be shown over Christmas and New Year's. And that was, you know, this was supposed to be billed as a, the scariest Doctor Who ever. And I didn't. No. I, was, I wasn't I was scared by the monsters or the situation. I, I was scared by what the Doctor was doing. I was getting chills. The things that he was doing and the format changing things that were going on. And I think the writer, Russell T Davies, is also the producer, decided, you know, this is how we're going to end things. We're really going to go for broke. We're really going to mess, change up the character because you can do that at the end. And so they did. So, good on them. Uh, The response to the story was very good. Fandom seems to have liked it. Got very good ratings. Very good audience appreciation index. And it will be shown in Canada and the United States on December 19th. So, if you actually can wait that long, good for you, because you only have to wait a week for the next episode. The rest of us are all like, oh, what happens next?
0: I, for one, didn't believe she would do that unless she had such an instant case of survivor's guilt being the captain that she should have gone down with the ship so to speak
1: do you think that's why she did it not because it was necessary for the continuity of time but because of survivor's guilt
0: that's the only reason i think she could have done it i i don't interesting i didn't buy that it would have been done for the continuity of time because it was such a new cont. It was so new to her, and I don't think that would have been her primary focus at that time. I think she would have been...
1: Well, she just took a trip inside a ship that was bigger on the inside than the outside, so some mind-expanding things going on there, but that's a very interesting theory. I had not thought of that.
0: And the other thing I was thinking about was that there's some talk, I guess more among fans, that the TARDIS kind of nudges the doctor to places where something bad is happening that he can help or make a difference
1: yes you have to sort of assume that over the course of the series in the past 30 odd years of, of, of episodes that yes he never seems to land on an island where nothing is happening and they have a swell time and they leave there's always something about to happen and you just sort of have to assume that that's The way the time stream is, or the TARDIS is, or the Doctor pushes the let's have an adventure secret button that no one sees. Because otherwise it wouldn't be a show. Nothing would ever happen. All
0: the days in history, why did he end up on Mars? Just to go for a little prance around on that particular day.
1: Right. It's never explicitly said if that's the TARDIS or him or time itself. But yes, for the the conveniences of the show, he does always land when something important is going on. In fact, that should be just a giveaway for him that
0: yeah, is the TARDIS tr- what's the TARDIS trying to tell him right is it taking him saying well here watch this terrible thing but don't don't do anything or should the TARDIS taking him there on that day at that time be an indication if there is some sort of consciousness above the TARDIS that maybe he can do something to assist
1: who's the master and who's the robot so
0: that those were my two thoughts there okay And I thought maybe the blue light flash at the end might have softened what she did a little bit to be cryptic rather than a gun or something like that. I thought that maybe that softened it just a little bit. You were saying it for a children's show. But it was a laser gun, so maybe I'm...
1: I think it was pretty clear what had happened. And, And I suppose you could, yes, if your kids were really upset, you could just say, no, she... whatever, but...
0: Well, it makes it less real. We it was on really, screen, yeah. but but and the audience knows well, we what's really going on. we don't really have blue laser guns, so it takes it back. It kind of... Yeah, submits, it's, 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 a, it's fantasy story violence, on television. But, but nevertheless, we're knowing... Yeah, it's a story. It's So that was my lesser point, but the first two were what I thought about it. And, of course, love the guest star. Lindsay Duncan. Yeah, she's great. She mostly does theater, but when she does choose to do something for television, it's it's always... Really wonderful to watch. So go on television more, Lindsay.
1: Okay. So my second review is The Prisoner. Have you been watching this?
0: I have not watched. You
1: have not watched The Prisoner. For those of you who on Sunday chose to watch Collision instead of The Prisoner, chose wisely. Mm -hmm. I'm finding The Prisoner to be much ado about nothing. It's written by Bill Gallagher, whose big claim to fame is Lark Rise to Candleford which I enjoy quite a bit, but it is a BBC historical drama. It's based on a series of books, so his job really is just to adapt it and make the characters you know TV-friendly. I presume he was a big fan of The Prisoner and wanted to do his own take on it, and I think his reach exceeded his grasp. I think it shows what happens when lesser people try to take on very complicated-type series, especially following Recall series. And I find great elements of the prisoner not working and the execution to be a bit of a mess. Watching part two, I almost felt like every third scene had been cut out. Characters would suddenly be in a tunnel because it's supposed to be the, the treatment center and they run away and then the next scene, they're back at their normal jobs. And we're like, well, how did they get away? How did they even get there in the first place? What's going on? Is the whole thing just a dream? I'm not getting kind of the answers. I don't think that Jim Caviezel is a spot on the ability of peter mcguhen to make an interesting character that you care about ian mckellen is interesting because he's always interesting but they try to give him this huge backstory you know his son is gay he's keeping his wife drugged for some reason who cares he's the villain mm-hmm. i'm finding the whole remake of the prisoner to have been a big waste of time
0: So i have a good look to it because i love the original so much i was Heartbroken when I finally went to Wales and I couldn't get to Port Marion.
1: The clothing's not distinctive. No. You see a penny farthing bicycle in a bar in, a, in the background somewhere, mm-hmm. uh, Rovers in it, but it's all done in this kind of outside this desert in South yeah. Africa. It's a lot of running around in the, in the desert, a lot of sand. They live in little chalets, and there's thousands of people in the village, so people have four digit numbers. And there's children and whole families, and I, I can't think of a single thing they've done that they made it better than the old one or, or did something particularly clever. It's really a very unnecessary remake. <laughs> I only watch all of it because, for this podcast, otherwise I, uh, I would not have bothered.
0: Well, my viewing time is, is precious, as is yours, but since you're watching it, I think I'll give it a miss, even with Syrian.
1: So at the same time that the first episode of The Prisoner went out was Collision, which was shown last week on ITV. So it was very successful. Six million people sat through the whole thing. And we're getting it here in two doses, courtesy of Masterpiece Contemporary. And so the first half was run last week. The second half is on next week. It was created and written by Anthony Horowitz, who is probably best known for doing Foil's War, which is the World War II period police drama. And I think collision works in the way that Lost works, which is something happens, which in this case, a car collision on the uh, A-11 highway. And we then jump back to see the events that lead up to that. And more and more information is revealed so things that seem very straightforward are in fact revealed to not be what it seems. Karen Donnelly was in no fit state to leave a hospital.
3: Well, have you tried ringing her at home? Yeah,
1: there's nobody there.
3: Well, maybe she's staying with friends, the ones she left with. They didn't
2: look like friends. What are you trying to say? That she was kidnapped? That is what you're saying. Why? Why, why would anyone... No, hang on. We, we pick up that envelope from her and it gets nicked out of the back of my car. And then she gets visited in hospital by her brother, except she doesn't have a brother. And then two mysterious friends show up and just take her away. And you don't think that's suspicious? Well, maybe, but that's not my job. Oh, come on. What is your job? A car accident. I'm trying to find out why two people died and a lot more were injured. Yes, that's what I do. Fine. I'm
3: going to go find her. Don't walk away from me. Don't dare walk away. This is just like you, isn't it? You just go off regardless of anybody else. All that matters is you.
2: What do you want from here?
3: You can't do everything on your own.
1: So they are sort of playing with us because, you know, information is deliberately withheld. But at the same time, the drama builds up. A lot of very familiar TV actors in it. The star is Douglas Henshaw, who was in Primeval. And he plays a a police detective who's supposed to investigate this collision. And he ends up working with a woman who, of course, he was having an affair with. And so there's lots of tension with that. And then I think we find out that he was in a car accident and probably ended up his daughter becoming an invalid. And presumably his wife got killed in that too, so he's got lots of issues as well. But all the characters that in the collision, even ones who die in it, who are on for five minutes, so David Bamber, you care about them. Uh, they're given interesting backstories, little things. You're not sure who's going to live and who's going to die. It's not the greatest drama in the world, but it's compelling. I'm looking forward to seeing the second half of it. It works in ways that The Prisoner just did not. Well, good. So our feature this week is going to be on the career of writer Russell T Davies before Doctor Who. well regarded in Britain and made a lot of really great shows and we'll talk about a lot of them and have some clips in them. He did a lot of children's television in the late 80s and early 90s and the first thing I saw was when I was living in England in 1993 and it was a six-part drama called Century Falls.
0: Now I hadn't seen his children's television. I saw a clip they dug up of him appearing as himself drawing some pictures on a child's program and he said he did that for one day and it was so nerve-wracking he went back to behind the scenes after that but i haven't seen any of the kids shows and i'd like to
1: i remember watching century falls it was uh the the only science fiction fantasy that was coming out of the bbc at the time which was of children's and they actually did quite a bit of children's dramas so it was shown in 1993 Uh, my review at the time was Quote, imaginative and certainly light years ahead of what is considered suitable for children in the USA. Is next, he did a lot of episodic TV, House of Windsor, and then 26 episodes of Revelations, which I'm not familiar with at all. Spring Hill, Touching Evil, Coronation Street. And then the next thing that I saw was The Grand
0: Now, that sounds like it's about a hotel.
1: It is. It's about a hotel in Manchester, his favorite stomping grounds. It's set in the 1920s, and it concerns the family that has just reopened the hotel, and two brothers who are rivals for the affection of one of their wives. And one of the brothers was Mark McGann.
3: All the bookings are confirmed, sir.
1: Very
2: good. Thank you, Mark. Miss Harkness, I trust everything's to your satisfaction.
3: Very much so.
2: I'm sorry your room wasn't ready when you arrived. We're rather busy.
3: Oh, nonsense. It's exactly as the Grand should be. Rushed off its feet. And don't forget you promised me a dance tonight.
2: My pleasure. I hope the noise
1: hasn't driven you out.
3: No, no. I'm exploring Manchester. I haven't been here since I was 16 years old. It's quite an adventure. I liked
1: the Grand quite a bit. It was uh, a serial. One of the main characters was a former madam who had basically bought her way into respectability. It concerned, you know, the the staff were characters, the people who stayed at the hotel were characters, the family that owned the hotel. And it was a very interesting confluence of characters. It ran for two seasons, and I remember quite a few people chatting about it in my old chat rooms back in the late 90s, because PBS was showing it. So that was The Grand. And that was followed by a landmark series which got a huge amount of publicity in Britain, which was Queer as Folk.
3: Sometimes you get a good Thursday. Sometimes you get a bog-standard Thursday. Sometimes you get a Thursday. This Thursday was mental. Thursday night in Babylon it used to be 70s night, but they changed it. Thursday night is 90s night, which makes you feel ancient, thanks very much. I spent all night chasing after some bloke who turns out to be mad. Like, really mad. He had every episode of Juliet Bravo on tape. So, it's getting late, lights on. I haven't copped off, Phil's not copped off, and Stuart? Stuart Sculptoff.
0: Yeah, they were it had just come out on video when I was in the middle of my longest ever trip to the UK, about six weeks, and that was just ten years ago. I was just about coming back from there. And I bought it and brought it back and made copies for all of my gay gentleman friends and it became quite a um they learned not to loan it out because they would never get it back. And it was very, very popular among them. They started having viewing parties and everything else because it didn't show here and
1: Well, Russell was... Davies was Russell T. Davies. The T is actually fake. He just thought Russell Davies sounded lame, and so he had he created a middle initial. It doesn't stand for anything. He wrote what he knew, which was the Manchester gay cruising scene. And it featured a rather predatory gay character who picks up with a very young man and this is what got everybody's panties in an uproar in britain was underage boys having sex with older men
0: yeah it was a bit squicky in my opinion
1: you didn't see anything of no. course i mean this is you know uh prime time television and then there was vince
0: Dear Vince. Dear Vince, who... Doctor Who
1: fan. Yes, which in the 90s in Britain was social death. When the series was Americanized for Showtime, they made him a comic book fan, which was the closest equivalent they could Mm -hmm. get to in... in, uh...
0: And they made the young man 18, didn't they, instead of 15. I didn't see the Showtime one, but... I didn't either, but I did read about... A few changes that it, had been made.
1: It caused an awful lot of, of of talk and consternation, but people watched it, and they made a sequel series, Queer as Folk 2.
0: And what? it got sold to Showtime, and Russell T. didn't get very much money, if any, at all, and for that reason, he hasn't worked for Channel 4 since.
1: Ah, They burned their bridges there. They did. And that moves into one of your favorites, 2001's Bob and Rose.
0: Oh, yeah, Leslie Sharp and Jessica
1: Hines, Hines,
0: who was still Jessica Stevenson then. Two of my favorites, and and you got to love Alan D.
1: Alan Davies plays a gay man, and he falls in love with a straight woman. We talked about it a bit during our look at Leslie Sharp a few weeks ago.
3: Sorry about that. Didn't mean to scare you. I don't scare. I've already had one nutter tonight, so the odds are in your favor. Shouldn't be long. Been out? Yeah. Me too. Where have you been? Town. A few places out and about. What about you? Gate. Yeah? Yeah, one of them pubs with a funny name, Rat and Ferret or something. Is that the one that does country in Western? No, that's further down. I was there last week. It's all, what's her name, um... Leanne Rhymes. Ten minutes straight out the door. Quite like country in western. Do you? Secret. Actually, I quite like it. You walked out. I know, but I was with people. Wouldn't buy it, though. Oh, no, I wouldn't buy it. I'd buy your Greatest Hits. I've got a Greatest hit somewhere. Harper Valley PTA. I love that song. It's brilliant. It's cheesy sort of brilliant, but. Thing is, it's got a story, hasn't it? You know, like Delirium. They don't do that anymore. They don't have stories. You and I were a lad. You don't, know. They do? They don't. They do. It's different nowadays. The story's in the video. It's like that Run DMC versus Jason Nevins. The song's just... God, I don't know what the song is, but the video. Do you see the video? Those two gangs? That's the story.
0: Russell based on something that had happened to one of his dearest friends. Mm. And the fellow who did eventually marry the woman, he still considered himself a gay man. his He would, you know, every person he else he found attractive walking down the street was male. There's a scene in Bob and Rose where you, there's no words at all, but you see Bob on a train, and you see him thinking well, gosh, if I'm straight I guess I must like women now, and this supermodel gorgeous woman with a teeny tiny micro skirt flounces by, and he looks at her, and you see the face registering "Hmm, nope, nope, not doing it for me, and then he sees kind of a cute guy in his eyebrows, kind of twitch a little bit so you see that it's it's definitely just specific to this one woman rose that he has clicked with
1: yeah so that was uh, kind of a romantic comedy drama and then jessica hines is his best friend jessica stevenson as you might spaced fans may remember her as is bob's best friend and when he falls in love with somebody else she is jealous
0: yeah, I think that was her first real dramatic role. I mean, she was in the royal family, but she was comic relief a little bit there. Um,
1: yeah, she was a comedian. Well, but probably this was
0: just a, a splendid and and was well, Alan's
1: first dramatic role too, wasn't it?
0: Could well have been. Yeah, his um.
1: Well, Jonathan Creek, depending if you call that drama right. or not. <laughs> well,
0: his her character was just not quite well mentally either. She had moss growing in her house and. She just created a really interesting character I hadn't seen before. But Russell's just a wonderful writer for ladies, especially even in middle-aged women and queer's folk. Each of these young men had mums, and they had their very own storylines too and were very well-rounded characters. I've read that he is not interested in writing for straight male characters because everybody does that. He would much rather write for his gay brethren and for women. And it seems like a lot of his muses, other than David, <laughs> seem to be women, too. Be women actresses that he likes to use over and over again, like Leslie Sharp, hmm. Carla Henry. He's used her in a few things.
1: He wrote one episode of the series Linda Green... Which had Lisa Tarbuck. I'm not sure which episode it was. I know there was one episode where Christopher Eccleston played twins, mm-hmm. and they used to keep faking her out. And I'm not sure if that was the episode or not. But it was, it was amusing. You know, she was a single woman in her 30s and coping with life. Then comes the Second Coming with Christopher Eccleston and Leslie Sharp
0: and Mark Benton. Another one he uses.
1: Yes. A lot. Oh, Mark Benton is creepy. Uh, You're not gonna see the second coming in this country and here's why. Uh, Christopher Eccleston plays this knucklehead in Manchester and one day he realizes he's the Son of God. And of course his friends are all like, you know, you need help. He goes on a 40-day walkabout and comes back and says, I have something to tell everybody. And of course he starts performing miracles.
3: Reports of a fire inside the stadium are now being denied. This is a live feed. We've got pictures coming live from the ground. This isn't a recording, it's daylight. It's daylight inside the stadium and it's night outside. There's no explanation for the light. It's daylight inside. This isn't a hoax. There's no explanation.
2: This is the work of God and I'm his son. God in human form. No halos, no white robes, no floating about. Flesh and blood, got that? Because God is real, fact. Heaven is real, fact. Hell is real and burning and waiting, fact. I am salvation and I'm taking you forward, all of you. A brand new gospel for the entire human race, coming soon,
1: stay tuned. And this gets the church into an uproar and his friends. Leslie Sharp is his friend. And then she starts seeing weird looks in people's eyes, including Mark Benton. Could be Satan. I'm not sure how much of it is allegorical and how much is just you're supposed to take it face value. You know, what if somebody said, hey, I'm the new son of God. And he was an it's ordinary bloke. Done. <laughs> <laughs> Well, worked out okay. well, I didn't. And The Choices it really isn't about Steve, the lead character at all. It really is more about Leslie and the journey that she takes when this, these things happen to her friend and the choices that she has to make. Very interesting look at religion. Again, I just can't see anybody showing in this country without getting a huge amount of protests from the religious right. But very thought-provoking drama there from Russell C. Davies and very brave of ITV to put that on.
0: Yep, and, and the DVDs are out in the United States. You can get it from Netflix, and there's some pretty darn funny outtakes.
1: Oh, the, so so The Second Coming was released in this country? Yeah. It is. Oh, really? Okay. And the
0: outtakes are mostly Christopher Ockleston playing gags on his fellow cast members. For instance, one of his little mini miracles is that he makes it so no one can see him. So he managed to put on a little sneaky raincoat and a big hat during one of the takes, too, so he'd look like a spy <laughs> and flashed Leslie Sharp a few times and a few other things. So they're all included. What a
1: rascal. Mm-hmm. Give people a little bit of power and they just, it just goes to their head. This was followed by a mini-series, which I enjoyed, but it got terrible reviews, called Mine All Mine.
0: That I don't know.
1: Well, I'll tell you about it. I have it on DVD, in fact. Griff jones famously of the comedy double act Smith & Jones, plays an eccentric taxicab owner in Swansea who has a very crazy family. And he maintains that his family has the rights to the city of Swansea due to an old will.
2: One day I'll be recognised. Because I own this town. Oh, don't shame us now. This town is mine. Max Swansea it. is mine. It's my inheritance. And I've been denied my birthright, as was my father and his father and his but father. There's never again. And Danny, you're sitting there and you're thinking, how can that be? Go on, say it. How can one man own the town? Go on. I beg of you, don't. Say it. Now, how can one man own the town? Funny you ask. <clears throat> Here we go. Here we are. Proof. Take a look at that. He's shown it to experts, and they've laughed him out of the room, so... That's the last will and testament of my ancestor, 12 generations removed. It's been dated, authenticated, vindicated, everything. The year, 1710, my family owned the entire stretch of land, five miles from Mumble's Head to the docks. Fields and pasture then, and now it's the whole of Swansea. It should be mine. What happened? Oh, Don't encourage him. We were robbed but I still got the will, it still stands. My granddad tried, my dad tried, we went to lawyers and the police, no one took us seriously. You can't own a town, no one can. The land is mine,
1: the city is mine, and the
2: moral high ground is mine, may I say. And that's the story, thank you.
1: And one day he shows it to a lawyer who works for an art company because he has something to show him and then he just happens to mention this thing and the guy says, can I look at that please? And he calls up his, uh, the other lawyers of his company. And it is determined that it is authentic. And that he is, in fact, the owner of Swansea. He becomes boss of this major Welsh city. Except that his father is still alive. So complications ensue. It's kind of a comedy, drama, what-if thing. It operates in a very farcical level. Again, I thought it was very sweet and enjoyable. People mostly did not sit through the whole thing, but I liked it. So obviously at this point, people realize that Russell C. Davies is a force to reckon with as a writer. And the BBC wants him very badly to do a version of Casanova. And he says, well, I don't know you know, what I really want to do is Doctor Who. And the BBC is so keen to have him do Casanova. They say, fine, you can have Doctor Who. We're not doing anything with it. What are you going to do? <laughs> so he does write Casanova 2005, a vehicle for up-and-coming actor David Tennant as the young Casanova and Peter O'Toole as the older Casanova who relates his story. Casanova was a real guy. Mm-hmm. It may be a powerful that he invented the lottery. and up with all those women. It's done an extremely fast-paced, amusing, upbeat, colorful action. A lot of it takes place in Venice. Peter O'Toole's fabulous. I mean, you know, he's one of those guys you'd watch reading the phone book. Mm-hmm. And uh, there's a very nice moment where he actually has a scene together, one shot together with David Tennant, even though they're playing the same character in, you know, two different periods of their life. It's just very well realized. I like Casanova a lot.
0: Yeah, I did too. I haven't watched it since the discos of viewing time, Precious, but it's something I always plan someday I will watch again, and, and I enjoyed it immensely.
1: Yeah, it was really terrific. And so that led him. He, the BBC had given him Doctor Who, and he went off to Wales to make it, and the rest, as they say, is History. Uh, his last two stories will be shown at Christmas, and he's come to the United States, and he's looking for work here now.
0: Now he plans to completely leave Doctor Who behind. Right,
1: he's, he's not, out of it. He says gonna... he doesn't even know what's going to happen. He will tune in, if that's possible, Los Angeles. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe they'll send him DVDs, but it will be the first time he says in in five years that he won't know what's happened when he watches the DVD or watches the TV and stuff happens. Years, actually, what?
0: 20 years since he's known what's happened since he brought it back so
1: well but like when the tv movie yes. happened he wasn't in uh, on that so true. yes he is completely out of it he has made no no casting choices he's not doing any scripts he's walked away he did his bit which is the best way to do it just walk away clean clearly going to have a excellent career whether it'll be in america or not well if you're listening to this podcast you obviously love british television and you probably notice that in british television the writer always gets credit right at the front of the show you know, such-and-such, such, by so-and-so. A tradition that goes back to Shakespeare. Writers in the United States are completely forgotten, overwritten, barely acknowledged, and pretty much all of them will tell you that, you know, we are the least important person on a, on a film sometimes. I can't think of very many... American, there's writer-producers here. David E. Kelly Mm -hmm. is one. J.J. Abrams, although he's getting a lot into movies and stuff, but he can launch a TV series like Fringe, things like that. There's a few names. The the, the public know who these people are. Uh, Matthew Weiner did The Sopranos, does Mad Men. Mm -hmm. I don't know if Russell is going to be successful in this country, but he certainly has a talent. And if not, he can always go back to England. You think he would do
0: an episode of an established TV show here and there, or do you think that he would just accept getting his own projects to start from scratch? I don't know.
1: It's, it's, it's tough to do episodic TV. I mean, it's a series you really like. I mean, if someone said, oh, you could do, you know, what's your favorite show? And, and he said, oh, I'd love to do Lost. And they might just let him do it. Like they'd let uh, Ricky Gervais do an episode of The Simpsons because mm-hmm. it was his favorite show. And they just let him do whatever he wanted to do. I have no idea if he's interested in doing series television or creating his own shows and, and getting them on the air. Are there any shows you'd like to see him write for, or would
0: you rather that he just do something Russell style from scratch?
1: The trouble is that that you know American television is, is it's all kind of making sausages. I mean, he might do an episode of House, but you know, and House is a fine series, but is going to really be that much better than all the other episodes of House. No one remembers the writers on House. It's the uh, TV here tends to be more of a producer's medium.
0: And the stars, of course, yeah.
1: Yeah, I think back of Tom Baker, who was huge in Britain after being in Doctor Who and came to Los Angeles in the early 80s and discovered that having millions of fans in Britain and in the United States at the time doesn't really do you a whole lot in L.A. where no one knows who you are and never seen anything you've done. And he did a few bit parts. Uh, he got to be a guest villain in an episode of Remington Steel because Pierce Brosnan knew who he was and said, Hey, Tom Baker, hire this guy. Well, Eddie Azard
0: came over and booked himself in for about four months playing a very small off Broadway theater in New York just to get noticed in 1998. And this was within a few months of selling out the Hammersmith Odeon almost instantly for a huge run around christmas time in late 1997 but as
1: a performer so they do
0: have to kind of come over and start over it seems but, almost but
1: he's a stand-up yeah. performer who who literally can rent a theater mm-hmm. and he's just one guy and he does his own material and if you're good and in new york you can get attention it's a whole different thing with writing If if no one produces your work no one sees it
0: yeah
1: you know you can't go and have a reading or anything like that well you could but you know nobody cares about that in l.a. But who knows? You know, I, I don't know how to be successful in L.A. He surely has a plan, and maybe he just felt I need someplace, I need a new challenge, and I'm gonna work my way up. And who knows? I if he is gonna do stuff, hopefully he'll be on cable. I mean, that's where the action is. The cable TV, the AMC's, the Showtimes, the FX FX's, HBO's are willing to take producer, director, writers, and say. Here's 13 episodes. Do what you're going to do. That'd be cool. That's what I would do, right? (laughs) Who want to be on network television these days? It's crazy.
0: I don't watch it, so... Well... (laughs) I watch more than I do, for sure.
1: So, next week... Well, we talked about him uh, before, and he's got this DVD set. Maybe we should tell... Steve Coogan. Let's
0: do Steve. Then you
1: can go out because now all this stuff is available. You have no excuse. I think Steve Coogan's great. I've been following him for 10 years or more. I think the first thing I saw was actually Paul Cass Video Diary.
0: That's pretty early, too. Yeah. yeah. Patrick Marber's in that, and he went on to be a playwright right. of some note. Well, so we will, that was
1: early stuff. We will talk about Steve Coogan next week with his DVD set coming out. We want to remind you to vote for your nominations for Britain's Best Noughties Comedy. What is the Best British Comedy of the Last 10 Years? I think Chrissy's leaning toward Little Britain, but maybe you think it's Spaced. I think
0: it's Spaced. Oh, you do Spaced. I, have, oh. I do. I have a well, well, tender part, place in my heart for Spaced, for sure. Well,
1: you should, uh, maybe you think it was extras or something else. Write in, make your nominations. We will ask people to vote. And of course, Chrissy and I, at the end of the year, will figure out which is in our fabulous battle. Maybe we'll have to end up with a Harry Hill kind of fight. Who would win? Spaced! Or Little Britain. There's only one way to find out. Fight! A hilarious joke if you watch Harry Hill. If not, you have no idea what I'm talking about. So, I'll quit. Uh, You should go to our website, britishtvpodcast.com. You can find links to news articles, show notes, and links to things we've talked about here, what's running on TV this week, and you can read more about us, archive old shows, and you can send us feedback at feedback at british dot So this next week, I'm looking forward to seeing the conclusion of Collision and whatever else is. Uh, oh, I'm watching the Monty Python documentaries.
0: And I will be starting on John Sargent's travel documentary and keeping up with Have I Got News for You. And
1: it's not on this week because no. uh, children need.
0: Well, I'm, I'm an episode or two behind, so i got to get caught okay, up Okay, well. And I watch the super-sized episodes, too, so oh. they're 45 minutes long. Do you
1: watch the short one and the long one? No. Or you just watch the long mm-hmm. one. Okay, so it just takes 10 minutes longer for you to watch them. Yep. That's the way to do it. Well, thank you very much for listening, and we hope you come back next week to the British TV Podcast. So bye for now.
0: Goodbye.